Lost and Sound is sponsored by Audio Technica. And right now I'm wearing a pair of their ATH M50 headphones. I love them. They fit great and snug. They're for the studio or for out and about, like where I am right now in a courtyard of Berlin speaking to you. Audio Technica are a global but family-run company that make headphones, turntables, cartridges, microphones, studio-quality yet affordable products because they believe that high-quality audio should be accessible to all. Welcome to episode 120 of Lost and Sound. I'm Paul Hamford. I'm your host. I'm an author, a broadcaster and a lecturer based in Berlin. And this is the show where each episode I have conversations with the musical innovators, the outsiders, the mavericks, the artists that do their own unique thing. And we talk about music creativity, life, the things that inspire us to make the things that we make. Previous guests on the show have included Peaches, Suzanne Chiani, Jim O'Rourke, Chili Gonzalez, Cozy Fanny Tutti, Jean-Michel Jarre, Mickey Blanco and Thurston Moore. And well, we've been to LA a lot recently and we're back there again today via the miracle of digital communication technology, aka Zoom, that is, to talk with Slauson Malone One. Meanwhile, my book, Coming to Berlin, is still available in all good bookshops or via the publisher's website, Velocity Press. And yeah, so here we are. Uh, as I mentioned in uh, before a little bit of music, I'm in sat in a courtyard in Berlin right now um, speaking to you. It's a cold but not too cold Tuesday morning. I hope wherever you are where you're listening to this, you're having a really lovely one. And today I speak with Slauson Malone One, which is the current musical identity of artist Jasper Marsalas, who last year released what I think is a really incredible, interesting album on Warp Records called Excelsior, more of which in the moment. Jasper. So before uh, Jasper started releasing music, he'd already established himself as a visual artist working across painting, sculpture and text. He's been exhibiting for about five or six years, maybe seven years now. And if his last name, Marsalis, seems familiar, it's because, well, it's possibly because he's the son of Winton Marsalis, the Pulitzer Prize winning jazz and classical musician. But I want to be very, very clear about this. Let's be clear. One listen to Excelsior, the album, or even just a cursory glance at his artworks on his website. And it's obvious that this is no Nepo baby, no Nepo baby reliant on a glossy editorial in Dazed and Confused magazine to give them a sense of legitimacy. This is a really, really, really interesting artist. So I was really excited to have a chat with Jasper and the anchor of the conversation we have is about this album that he made 
as I mentioned, on Warp Records called Excelsior. Um, and I don't really know where to start when describing it. Um, it's kind of conceptual. It's a piece of art. Um, it's bloody good fun to listen to. And it really takes you on a journey. Um, it's in a way, it kind of reminds me of like a kind of rock opera in that it's got all of these reoccurring motifs sonically it switches gear consistently but it feels like a whole cohesive piece like there's something anchoring the music that the work is somehow trying to tell you maybe not through anything anything explainable but just through the sonics of it um it's sort of somewhere between avant-garde composition alt r&b and sludgy math slacker rock i mean i i sort of feel like it's like if steve lacy met pavement backstage at a frank zappa concert it might sound like that fucking hell that's a glib description isn't it sorry about that um but anyway our chat explores connections between visual art and music um as well as lots of other stuff and i think that's something that is like a reoccurring motif to to the interviews that I do as well and something I'm always really interested to pick up on artists is what are the commonalities between all art forms like we all do different things so many of us are multi-hyphenates in some way you know making art making music but also doing different jobs and stuff like that and what are the things that connect them together yeah well you're gonna find out well you're gonna hear what happened when I had a chat with Jasper Marsalis anyway and it goes a little something like this How's it going? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good, thank you. Yeah, um, it's kind of very cold in Berlin. You're in LA, are you? Yeah, I'm in LA right now. It's morning, isn't it? Are you, are you a morning person? Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, it's morning. It's a little overcast, so it's a bit chilly. But um, yeah, it's... And I don't know, it's, it's, it's rare to see the weather change in LA, so... I'm grateful for <laughs> for the overcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you a, are you an LA native, or have you have you moved around quite a bit beforehand? Um, uh, sort of. I was born here, but then I I moved to New York when I was twelve, mm. and then I moved back four years ago. Yeah. Wait, what about you? You you don't sound like you're from Berlin. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Definitely. Mind you, there, there's supposed to be, I think, twenty percent of of Berlin is is native English speakers. So, um, but yeah, no, I'm definitely, definitely not German. I'm I'm English, um, but I've been I've been living here for about six years um, now. Now, just enough time to kind of really know the city well. But still, I have to apologize to every German I meet for how bad my level of speaking german is really <laughs> um thanks so much for speaking with me today and um i'm loving i'm loving the album um it's, it's excelsior it's so it's just like this kind of massive i hear it as just this massive sort of kaleidoscope just how my ears respond to it and it's it sort of feels like a, one of those albums that feels like a whole vibe i was wondering if you could talk me through what the process of of the album was like how it developed mm. Well, it was over the process of five years. Um, and I started working on it, but I knew I didn't have the technical skills to complete the album. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of was always lingering in my mind through the years, touring, working on other people's albums, um, and really just a process of learning. So, yeah. Yeah. So you... 
you had like a kind of a concept in your head or a, a thing that you were trying to sort of strive for with it then yeah yeah there was definitely some like technical things i wanted to accomplish like you know i was always really inspired when i was living in new york being on the subway and um how your sense of time is always interrupted you know mm. you'll have an earbud in and then like you'll get pulled out of your ear and then like you're hearing the noise of the street or you're hearing someone else's music that they're playing or even personally like you don't like a song anymore so then you hit skip on the phone and I was thinking like what if that could be a compositional element in a in a recording so it's a bit manic but I feel like it's a very relatable experience with the advent of like the the MP3 where you can just kind of like cycle and shuffle so um yeah I mean that that's really interesting as well because I think that's quite how our minds work as well mm-hmm. isn't it we don't like when we you know when uh, when we drift we don't think in a linear way like everything kind of you know memories kind of jump backwards and forwards in time um was, was that something that kind of you wanted to kind of encapsulate just this kind of sort of kind of find a connectedness within randomness yeah, yeah I mean I was also kind of inspired by the idea of a theme, um, which is like such a musical trope, you know, in Western music, you know, you just have this thing that, and then you return back to, to like sort of anchor the the musical experience, you know? So Mm. um, yeah, it's maybe like core memories. is like a similar, you know, you'll hear this interval and it's like, okay, even though it's aesthetically different, it's still the same, you know? Yeah. And then you kind of approach it in different ways or you have a different perspective depending on what's gone on around it, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. And what were these core themes for you that you, core theme that you wanted to return to? What was that about for you? Yeah. So it's like really, so there are kind of these suites. um, And the first one is kind of thinking about this like merging between the body and in a physical space and how they can kind of move in between. So like the first song is like the body and the ocean as like one unit. And then the second one is the body and the house. Um, I think it gets a bit more vague after that, but um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, I guess also it's, it's one of those things where it is kind of tricky because I guess like art does represent itself. Yeah. And do you feel like it's quite important to hold back certain kind of inner meanings and stuff from... Yeah, I think the experience is more valuable than it being like a a problem to be solved or like a math problem that you're going to sit here and listen to this recorded music and then uh, be like, oh, yeah, and then this lyric means this and this you know um for me at least um i find the experience to be more enjoyable and also when i was younger i was never good at listening to lyrics Mm. so i often would misinterpret things um and i found that to be more exciting than you know going on the website and reading the the lyrics or reading the liner notes or something so yeah, I, 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 I'm, I think I'm still like that. To be honest, like I do, I love. I think I'm more attracted to the sound of 
the voice than actually what the word and even the shape of words than what they actually necessarily are. And um and I mean as someone described it to me once that people are either sort of slightly more on a spectrum of being sonic or lyrical. And um but you know you do use lyrics. So do you do you feel like do you, you know when it comes to your own lyrics, is, is there something that you you do feel that is more important for you that you that is to be there? Mm. I like challenging the, the dumbness of words sometimes and just kind of really trying to, to, I don't know, just trying to find combinations that are a bit unsettling or words mm. that you wouldn't maybe normally associate to be in a piece of recorded music. Like on the song, New Joy, I was a, I was like excited about using the word hentai, which is like a type of pornography. And it's, it's like, wow, like, I really need to use this word. <laughs> um, I need to find a way to make it work, you know? So, mm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, okay, I guess it's like, there's a visual element to, to words as well. And, you know, you are uh, kind of quite primarily known too as a visual artist. Yeah. Um, you know, how do you sort of, is there a relationship between sight and sound for you? Yeah. you know, do they overlap at all? Yeah. Um, it's fine. I'm just working on this lecture for, for Pauline Oliveros, uh, Deep mm -hmm. Listening. And I think my relationship to senses is a bit untrustworthy because they're informed by maybe so much historical baggage like that being taste you know i like this sound mm -hmm. i dislike this sound and it's kind of almost irrelevant to me i think what's more important is the the, the physical feeling i feel mm -hmm. while i'm working on something does it achieve the this the sentiment in my body more so than than in the ear or in the eyes and um with that comes disappointment sometimes too like mm -hmm. Maybe it's just not good, but mm. <laughs> if it achieves if it the sensation, then um, it's successful, I think, in my opinion. Um, like yeah. a perfect example is um, fission for drums, piano, and voice. Like that's an awful piece of music, but it does the, um, <laughs> viscerally does what I wanted to feel it in my body, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th I think, um, yeah, I think sometimes like film music to me, um, I, something that I'm interested in like that, that, you know, obviously it has a purpose, like, you know, in a visual element, but, you know, like the, the idea that, you know, you can make music that is deliberately designed to sort of unsettle or kind of create like a, a, a a kind of physical feeling in you that isn't necessarily nice. Um, yeah. What do you think music can do that visual art mm. can't? Well, it's, it's time, you know, and you really, with the music, you're feeling existence in a way, not to be so dramatic, but whereas a piece of art, it's like you're not um, beholden to its existence. You can walk away at any point in time. Um, and I think with that, maybe there's a certain level of entitlement listeners have because it's it's like you're literally wasting my time. If this is not yeah. interesting to me, um, I hope I have only more. I have like only eighty more years to live. Like, why am I gonna sit here and uh, waste? Literally waste my time. So, um, but I don't know. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and like on on the flip side of that, with visual art, is it is it ever you know does it ever become frustrating that that visual art doesn't have that kind of demand of attention mm. for you? I think I think that's its strength in a weird way. It mm. feels because it's maybe viewers are a little less entitled to be pleasured in a certain way. It's sort of allowed to break more rules, mm. maybe. Um, like I think art is not concerned whether it's art or not, and I feel like music is still like, is this music? Like it's such a big question, you know. Like, um, can this be music still? Um, I don't know. I mean, of course, it's all music, but you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think something about um, music really, really, really is very divisive with people. Whereas, I mean, art is, but yeah, like you say, people can just take it or leave it in a way, can't they? You know, and, and, and move on. Um, and, and I mean, how do you feel like also as well working in the industries, how do you feel that the art world differs from the, the music world? Yeah. I mean, m most of it to me is a financial thing. It's, it's, it's art is usually funded by, extremely wealthy individuals or mm. like companies you know that are subsidizing projects whereas art is kind of i mean music is is more like the people's choice and funded by people's personal on a, on a much larger scale you know people's mm. interests um i don't think either is better necessarily because again i don't know if taste is the best way to evaluate whether something's good or bad. So in the case of music, um, yeah, I don't know. That's, maybe that's a slippery slope to go down. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's, it's a little bit of a like never-ending dialogue, isn't it? I guess, yeah. really. Yeah. You know, and I guess it's something that like maybe we have different opinions on on different days as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> um and i i mean i definitely felt for myself that you know i didn't go to art school and i sort of felt that um fine art was something that i felt there was a certain amount of exclusion from if you didn't have the education from it whereas like maybe music i mean maybe i know there are like millions of gatekeeping ideas in music but it sort of maybe feels that music is more accessible yeah. i mean i think it's the institutions no because mm. I find like new music, classical music, any sort of institutionalized music suffers from the same uh, dilemma. Um, I think art is maybe a bit worse because it's material, whereas music is like doesn't have a form to exist in really. Mm. Um, so you have to put the art somewhere. Um, I mean, it would be amazing if every person had their own collection and you could just walk into their house and <laughs> look at some art um but unfortunately um that's this is the system we agreed on so um yeah but i guess if you want to listen to like a schubert piece or a bach piece you you have to go to the institution um to hear it you know so mm. That's true, yeah. I mean, also like with with the music work, you release music as Slauson Malone one rather than uh, Jasper. You know, was was there sort of um, is is this an alter ego? Um, I think it was um, at one point for me, but the one makes it 
really dumb um, in the way that like your identity like in, in like the email universe, like there's someone else out there that has the same name as you. So you have to put a, yeah, a number yeah. in. And I just like this sort of sort of dumbness that someone will be like, why is there a one? Um, <laughs> like what does the one mean? Uh, uh, but also there's like a hip hop reference with, you know, KRS-One. Mm. Um, or I don't know, I'm blanking on other people that have numbers at the end. Four, five, mm -hmm. four, six, four, five, AR. So they're all people that have like numbers, you know. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I just uh, aesthetically was interested in that. You know? Yeah, I mean, ones aren't used that often as well, because I'm, I'm a big film fan as well. And, you know, like obviously, you know, sequels begin with like two, you know, two, you, don't right. get many, you don't get many ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. With the album as well, did you have any like sort of set musical references that when you were going in of like any artists that kind of really inspired? Because to me, yeah. it's such a collage of stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many. I don't know if it's even really possible because it's like all, someone is always going to be left out, you know. Mm. Um, but I guess the first thing I'm thinking about is um, William Bazinski, like Caretaker for the first song, Ghost of My Life, Mark Fisher, um, mm. that first song, because I just wanted something to feel like disintegrating and just, um, what else? John Fahey, you know, mm. I really wanted to write a piece of music that was just guitar and vocals, which, um, I don't know. I mean, Wendy Carlos, huge, mm. there's that one section um arca huge influence um yeah i don't yeah i mean what about joe meek because you know obviously there's oh, yeah. the, like, i hear a new world and yeah like, yeah i mean huge huge influence i mean it also was like when i was reading about his um like parts of his biography mm. it really struck me that he couldn't play any instruments and it was just acts of listening that he was able to compose music mm. and uh, i thought that was just so radical and and and, and amazing because he was probably able to hear things that most people couldn't hear because mm. he's not concerned with like structural rules of music you know um but then i was also thinking about that same kind of relationship with dub music um and certain composers that also like didn't have any formal classical training, but mm. were able to like, imagine or hear a sonic world that was just so beyond um, what people could imagine. So it was really exciting to tie those two uh, universes together and also like having a subtle or maybe not so subtle narrative about like historical colonialism between, you know, Jamaica and, and uh, the United Kingdom and, um, I don't know. It was really fun to work on those two songs. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And and also makes me wonder because the you know like some like um some of these artists couldn't like like mentioning Joe Meek weren't um, musicians in a technical linear sense. Um, yeah. and you're sort of saying like they had this kind of amazing music in their head. I wonder how far like something like I hear a new world is in terms of what they actually imagined. You know. Um, mm. 
I feel like for quite a lot of us, when we do creative stuff, even if people really like it, there's a slight sense of disappointment that we right. don't quite get to something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the the thing that struck me the most about I hear in the world is I'm almost certain that the core of the song is a sample actually from this like instrument called the octagon, and it's just a loop of a bass and drum track. Doom. And it's so beautiful to me that the chords are changing around this bass line that doesn't modulate. It just stays the same. And there's one point where it's sort of dissonant because it's not following the structure of the song. Mm. Uh, and I just thought that was such a such a beautiful moment uh, that was like so inspiring. Uh, so, and I'm sure that was just because. I mean, who knows? But I'm imagining that it was just because he couldn't play bass. So it's yeah. like, all right, like, fine, we'll just use this, you know? <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's interesting because that was like, I mean, when was he make? That was like early 60s, was it that he? I think it was 59, 58. 59. That's, it, that's crazy, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I guess it is as well. It was like, so, I mean, I remember at the time, I mean, maybe even a bit after that, you had things like the BBC Radiophonic Workshop and Delia yes. Derbyshire, you know, yeah, and yeah. even then it was still so sort of like, you know, I, I've read stuff about Delia Derbyshire about how like the, the kind of even going back to the institutions, how, you know, she was kind of kept out of the institutions quite a lot and had to kind of break into the BBC at night to kind of make tape loops and things like that. It, it sort of feels that, like, you know, about that point in the 20th century, people were just beginning to catch on that, you know, in Western music that you didn't need, you know, music could be made outside of like an educational context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's like a new education is formed, you know what I mean? Mm. A new type of um, relation to the world or something. I think of like, yeah, even scientists or um, King Tubby or all these people, mm. like they invented a whole new universe, you know? So, mm. on, like the ruins of like an empire, you know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah. it's, like, it's just amazing. Definitely. And, and I mean, you come from a musical family yourself. Um, yeah. Your dad's Winton. How was it kind of growing up? Was was music something, what was your kind of attitude towards music sort of being in the midst of a musical family? Well, I think this is like where my my deepest like anxieties form, I think. Mm. Mainly because of like nepotism or privilege or these type of things. You know, I always was backstage mm. seeing all of these performances and hearing music from backstage. So it was never exciting like because i was just seeing how all of these things work mechanically you know mm. and um because of that i think when i was younger i never wanted to play music because it was like the the magic of it was just kind of gone to me you know mm. but, uh, then when i started to get when i started to learn about electronic music uh like specifically i think justice or Daft Punk homework when I first oh, heard Oh, wow. That. Okay, yeah. I was just like, whoa, like, how do you even make a sound like this? How does one even go about... It seemed like the sound was coming from nowhere, you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, and I just was, became fascinated by that process. Um, 
So that's how I really got into making music and um, DJing also. I wanted to go to, go to DMC, be like a scratch <laughs> DJ. <laughs> it didn't work out. But, um, but the same interest in manipulating sound and time and space, I just was a lot more interested in that. Yeah. And, and was that like a kind of way of also kind of claiming music for yourself? Yeah, I mean, I didn't, um, there's also like spatial separation. You know, I grew up in Los Angeles when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. So uh, it wasn't until I was like 12 that I really spent time with my father. So there was a bit of disconnectedness between the the sense of lineage. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would like to believe that it's still being carried on, whatever that is just as my grandfather carried on whatever it is from mm. my grandfather and so on and so on. So I think it's less about the rules. Is this this kind of music or is it not? But it's it's like an emotional sentiment. You know what I mean? Is that, yeah. does that make sense? I don't want to be too vague. No, I mean, well, I mean, I, I, I get an impression of what you mean, whether it's, it's but like, so you'll carry, you know, you'll, um, it doesn't have to sound or be connected in a sort of linear way or to yeah. what your father did or grandfather, for example, grandmother, but it's, it's passing something on and, and there's like a sort of, it comes from some, some, there's some part that comes from the same place. Do you mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know, maybe your great, 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 great grandfather. I don't know. Or grandmother. I don't know what they were up to, but I'm sure at one point, there's something that you think about that they were thinking about. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that's more valuable than like, let's say, I don't know. Wait, what's your last name? Um, Hanford. Okay. Yeah. yeah I don't, okay. I was going to say, cause maybe it's like a trade based last name. Cause then I, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I know one thing is my grandma was, um, supposed to be she was supposed to have been an incredible pianist but she grew up with a working class family and in the 1930s um the father didn't let her go to a music school even though like some kind of madame von french composed woman kind of wanted her to go to a conservatory because it was that kind of thing about being a woman from a right. working class background. So um, I think some, I, they're, they're, I can, you know, I, I do sort of, she, when she told me that it was quite late in her life and it was definitely reminded me of sort of, I thought, well, maybe we do have, we kind of arrived at the same, at music completely separately, unconnectedly, but maybe that was like a connecting point. It also reminds me of that. Have you seen that film? Um, was it all the book Cloud Atlas? No, but I I know I know the I know the I know I know the book I know the movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the movie isn't that great, but the book's alright. Yeah, right, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how now do you feel that um, surroundings influence your work? You know, I do you draw on like your you mentioned earlier on about the kind of like, the subway in New York, but is it is it very important for you to draw on like your surroundings to find inspiration or does it come from somewhere else more for you weird i mean i think right now it's mostly technical in- interests you know mm. getting obsessed with certain phenomenons like right now um there's this thing called fft this process of um analyzing and manipulating audio i think 
the most common practice of F FFT is noise cancellation on, mm. on computers, on phones, where basically the computer takes images roughly uh, of audio and then manipulates it in the in the in that domain. Um, I'm being super. I'm not explaining it super well, but um, but basically, FFT is like a very uniquely digital process, and it sounds very uh, unromantic and disgusting, mm. uh, <laughs> warbly, and uh, and yeah, I've just been obsessed with understanding how how it works, and you know, if there are deeper uh, meanings to FFT. Uh, so yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm loving it. <laughs> yeah i mean because you know you mentioned earlier on about like you know the, the one at the end of slouse and malone and i think there was something else you mentioned as well like sort of um oh yeah getting hentai as a lyric and like yeah. so th 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 i mean i don't want to sort of be like kind of psychologist or anything but do you yeah. think there is like a kind of a bit of a common theme in your work to kind of transform sounds and words or or technology that might not be i don't know yeah. various ways appropriate yeah. into something that yeah i i think yeah I've, I've always been impressed by still life painters because i'm like how can you make something so uninteresting uh <laughs> like art you know mm. so i think it's something i'm always uh considering yeah what is for you like an ideal state to kind of be creative in is you know what are the sort of conditions and surroundings that you sort of feel good into i mean community is mm. at the top you know i don't think it has to be necessarily like physical space that people are but in communication with people depending on people for for stuff uh i think is really the ultimate um creative space um and there, there were quite a few collaborators on Excelsior, you know, was, yeah. was that quite an important process to work with these particular people? Yeah. I mean, Nikki, Nicholas Weatherell plays cello, also amazing guitarist. Um, we play together uh, in the live performance. Um, I mean, he put me onto so much music, so much, so many things to study. Um, I mean, Pauline Oliveros never, knew about her work really mm. before working with Nikki. Um, same thing with John Faye, you know, peasant. Who did peasant? Um, uh, peasant. I'm going to have to Google it. Yeah. Uh, uh, Richard Dawson. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. 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 So yeah. It's like, and then Andrew Lappin, who mm. I met through working with Taja Lorraine. Mm. Um, and yeah, just infinitely expands um, mm. whatever it is that you're thinking about when you get to share ideas, you know? Yeah. And what was it about Richard Dawson? Because I, I I personally just love the kind of way it's sort of really English, but then it goes off on really unpredictable kind of chords yeah. and things. Well, it's, it's, I had been thinking about this world um, that Excelsior exists in. It's kind of like, temporally parallel to this world um, where it's like set in 1605, but it's the same now. Does that, does that make mm, sense? Like yeah. we have computers and we have everything, but it's just uh, 1605 or something like that. Um, 
and uh yeah when when nikki played me peasant i was like wow like, it's amazing how much of a universe this is with just very little you know you can feel the time period that this exists and you can get a sense of narrative or something so um i wanted to achieve the same thing on excelsior you know yeah i mean i would love to see a film of excelsior do you think that that could be something in the imagination there i mean yeah i actually when i was in school i, I studied film and I, mm. I wanted to be a filmmaker but it was too expensive like resource wise like to create a beautiful image you just need so much you need so many people um and um i guess i'm always thinking of images while i'm composing things you know mm. and, and like i mean also the album being on warp as well and you're kind of talking about having like this big electronic influence coming into your life did that feel you know and obviously warp is just i don't know it's it's one of the top it's been one of the top electronic labels for like 30 years or something now. Yeah. Did, did, did you feel like, you know, was this like, wow, this is warp? Yeah. You know, it's funny. Not really. It was only because of one of their, their less known releases that I really felt adamant about wanting to work with them, which is the Mark Lecky, Florian Hecker um, recording, because it felt like, Warp is probably one of the very few music institutions that can understand art, maybe, or have mm. have patience for it, maybe is the word. Mm. There, maybe they would be willing to give me one more minute of my time for something a bit more speculative or something, you know? Mm. Uh, so that was really what attracted me to, to the label. Um, and it was just a one-off release, too, which I think is really bold for a label because it's like, how do you even monetize? Yeah. Like you can't it's like a drain that record you know so mm. uh, <laughs> i think that was sick you know that's great it's like they they commit they helped bring out a piece of art rather than kind of thinking of the long term of a of a goal and you know greatest hits packages and stuff like yeah. that yeah well the long-term goal is that they put it out you know yeah <laughs> like on the catalog like that's <laughs> yeah 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 you know which i think is sick Definitely, it has its warp catalog, warp warp number. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, Jasper, that was it. Thank you so much oh. for chatting with me today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> okay, so that's Jasper Marsalis, aka Slauson Malone One, in conversation with me, Paul Hampford, for Lost and Sound podcast, and we had that chat on the twenty fourth of January. 2024 the album excelsior is out now on warp records and lost and sound is of course sponsored by audio technica global but still family-run company that make headphones turntables cartridges microphones they make the headphones i'm speaking to you right now in and they make studio quality yet affordable products because they believe that high quality audio should be accessible to all my book coming to berlin is available in all good bookshops or via the publisher of Velocity Press's website and the music that you hear at the beginning at the end of every episode of Lost and Sound is done by Thomas Giddens. Um, whatever you're doing, I hope you're having a really, really good one. Take care and I'll chat to you soon.